Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. So, there you have it. A collection of anecdotes which may or may not have happened. A summation of three years inside one of Britain's most treasured institutions together. Smears, fears, tears. She is the queen, is she not, of crocodile emotions. Meghan Markle is an actress, let's not forget. And last night, she gave the finest performance of all time. Forget stripping down to her underwear in suits for a love scene. This was a masterclass in deception, perception and deflection. Does she use the internet? No, she didn't even Google Prince Harry, apparently. Was she lonely? Only when she was alone, apparently. Does she read the papers? No, but she keeps suing them though, doesn't she? So she seems to know what's in them. Was she silenced? Apparently not. There's over 90 minutes of proof of that, plus the rest of the uh, interview, which has apparently ended up uh, in a vault somewhere, which will no doubt be released in a couple of weeks' time. The truth is that the multiple wrongs she says were committed against her, the offence that she took, is all based basically on two things. Something Harry told her, which she didn't witness, and her claim that Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, made her cry. I mean, really? Is that what we're talking about here? Has Harry actually sat there while his wife accused not only the royal family and the British press of being racist, but the entire nation? What an absolute and utter horror show. 0344 499 1000. I make no apologies for speaking about this for a second day in a row because there are some people taking it seriously and I would wish to disavow them of that because it should not be taken seriously. The one thing uh, that this country is not is racist. The one place where Meghan Markle would have been welcomed more than anywhere else in the entire world was the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We'll be asking Belinda DeLucy, former MEP, what it all means and how damaging it could be for this country. Coming up, we'll also be talking about schools and how your children are coping with going back to a regimen of masks and constant testing. And of course, no doubt, the schools are telling everyone, oh, it's all going terribly well. It's all going very swimmingly. And we'll be asking just why television is playing such a part in the culture wars today after Piers Morgan stormed off the set of Good Morning Britain. 0344 499 1000 in the middle, by the way, of a row about Harry and Meghan. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Delighted to be able to join you today because it's a beautiful day out there. The sun is bright. The sky is blue. Uh, there isn't a cloud in sight, I have to say. And it is really quite spectacular here uh, in London. It's a little bit on the chilly side, but there's a big storm coming, apparently. And who knows uh, when that will wreak its particular havoc uh, on us. But uh, let us talk now uh, to our good friend, Belinda DeLucy, former Brexit Party MEP, of course, and now having achieved victory uh, by leaving the European Union, basking in the glory of it. Belinda, very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Lovely to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, thank you very much indeed. I stayed up extra late, uh, you know, because now normally it's time for my cocoa at 11 o'clock. So, uh, but I was, I stayed, I was quite pleased actually that the interview came to a, a, a blessed end before 11 o'clock um, so I could get into bed. But, you know, I sat there thinking this is actually possibly the worst interview I have ever seen. Oprah Winfrey didn't ask one question that was in any way challenging, didn't really challenge anything that was being said. But what I've what I've taken from it, because we talked about this a lot yesterday, um, is not so much what she said and what she's alleging and all of that, but it's the effect that what she said is having on some people who are beginning to think that actually she's right, that somehow this is a very unwelcoming racist country, you know, with a racist press and a racist royal family. And I just don't recognise that. No, neither do I. And, and let's be honest, of course, there are racists in the UK as there are, you know, everywhere around the world and we need to tackle them. But the idea that the UK is a racist country is absolutely ridiculous and really inflammatory and does need to be challenged. But look, the, the reaction to this interview in America is so ridiculous. It's so hysterical. Mm. Um, and, and the idea that the monarchy is now under some sort of threat is just absurd. I mean, our monarchy is one of the most resilient institutions in the world. Um, our queen and her family are directly related to William the Conqueror and mm. they have suffered centuries of you know plagues and wars and beheadings and murder and scheming and plotting to take them down and it has never worked even when we became a sort of republic under oliver cromwell the british people begged for their monarch charles ii to return to england um you know we we love our monarchy in this country uh, the queen has over a 74 percent approval rating mm. and william and kate have over 64 percent approval rating any president would dream to have that kind yeah. of support so i'm really not worried at all that our monarchy is in trouble whatsoever you know sibling rivalries throughout royal families have always been very tense with the heir and one seat of power i mean look at king richard iii he he killed, allegedly, his brother's children and then in the tower, the princes in the tower. And then he had Elizabeth I being put in prison by her sister, Mary, Bloody Mary. And then yeah. when she gets out, she chops off her cousin's head, Mary, Queen of Scots. You know, family relations have never been brilliant <laughs> in royal families. So. No, I think you make a very good point. But, you know, the thing about, about America as well is that, you know, they don't have to look very far uh, down Main Street, uh, USA, to find... Uh, some uh, racists because I mean the racial divisions in the USA are far worse than they are here. Far worse and this point really does need to be made I think um, you know one of the reasons a lot of mixed marriages work and are so common in the UK compared to other Western European or, uh, countries is that the, the level of tolerance is so much higher I do think that's got something to do with the Commonwealth mm. as well I think we all feel like one big giant family 
Um, and, uh, you know, the Queen says it's a family of nations and we do have these strong connections to all these different countries all over the world. And we're a very diverse bunch, but we're diverse under one flag and as British as the next person, doesn't matter about the color of the skin. Look, Mike, I think it's about a culture clash. Yeah. This, this, this race issue that keeps getting forced down our throats. I think it works very well with a certain section of the American audience. The very sort of sensitive, sort of kelp drinking, you know, terrified of anyone who eats gluten, that kind of fragile group of people. I think it works well with that. But I, the Brits are just not having any of it. And I, I don't think the little dip that the royal family may suffer now is going to have any lasting effect whatsoever. I just feel very sad yeah. about the interview. I, th I, th I, think, I think a lot of people do. Actually, I was listening to Simon Jenkins, the former Times editor, talking this morning, and he said the same thing. He just didn't really buy what she was selling, didn't really believe any of the stories and, and questioned all of them, but also said that it made him feel generally just rather sad because it is sad to see people being quite so eviscerating in public about members of their own family. I mean, it's laughable that these guys say that they want their privacy. And yet here they are, stripping bare uh, sort of emotions and facts and, and, and pieces of information about their own loved ones that we have no business knowing about. I know, I think it was, it's quite hurtful in a way, because when Meghan came on the scene, we, the, the country celebrated the idea that we were going to have this incredibly glamorous, beautiful princess that brought in, um, you know, ladies of mm. colour into the family, and, and it was celebrated. I, I had a huge party at my house, family relatives came, we all had balloons with Harry and Meghan's face all over, right. I've still got flags of Harry and Meghan on a Union Jack in in our garden um so it's it wasn't that we rejected her but i think after a while when there were certain sort of preaching elements hypocrisy um you know flying around private jets and preaching to us about climate change these sort of things don't sit well with the british people no uh, we like the sort of resilient stiff upper lip uh, devotion to duty type people that we respect them i think the the, the preachy sort of woke lot don't work well with the british people i think that was the problem I don't think it's we suddenly turned on, on Meghan because of her race. I, I think that's a very, a very sad accusation. No, it's a complete nonsense because clearly if that had been the case, one, she would probably never have married into the royal family because the word would have gone out supposedly from the heads of the family. I mean, it makes it sound like a mafia organisation, doesn't it? To say that, you know, this is not going to happen. If that was true. Similarly, you know, if this country was such a racist country, why was everybody celebrating on the day that she got married? You know, people, hundreds of people, thousands lining the streets of, uh, uh, of Windsor. You know, all of these celebs came in. Suddenly, um, also, she keeps winning lawsuits against newspapers. And I mean, if the judiciary um, uh, is anything to go by... Surely she would accuse them of being racist, but they keep awarding her victories against associated newspapers. And you should just think, you know, this is all deliberately being done. I don't think she means to damage Britain. I think she just means to play the victim. Well, I think, unfortunately, as I've said, this interview has triggered a wave of hate towards our monarchy and towards the British um, that I don't think they planned or foresaw. I, mm. I really don't think they're very self-aware. Um, and and that's very sad that we now have to fight off again. But then again, Mike, we had it for four years over Brexit, you know, yeah. the global reaction to how awful and racist and insular and little Englanders Britain had suddenly become because mm. it wanted to uh, leave the EU. Hillary Clinton, the usual suspects coming out and praising Meghan in the interview were the same ones, you know, slating Britain yeah. in 2016. So Britain bashing is very common. And luckily, I think the British people have enough confidence 
in ourselves not to, to be too wounded by all of this mm. because we're very happy where we are. We are. I'm very happy we don't have a president. Um, and the racism card, you know, it's a shame because Meghan did have some valid points. I think it must be extremely hard to join the royal family and suddenly be a victim of hounding. Um, and, you know, whatever you can say about Meg Meghan, that wouldn't be easy for any of us. I, I know, and you know, Mike, people in the press and when horrific articles come, come out about them, it can be quite quite wounding and she so she had some points that she could have made but to 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 accuse the royal family in such a general way and say that one of them has said a racist thing but not naming them yeah. means that the whole family gets stained with that brush without any way of defending themselves yeah. um, and i think that that was unfortunate really was yeah i'm not convinced at all that, that whatever the remark was was even a racist remark if there if there was such a remark because first of all it seems to be being reported in different ways you know she says there were many conversations harry says there was one he says that he was told about it by somebody else other people say harry heard it himself. you know nobody's really very sure of what was said anyway regardless of, of how it was interpreted but do you feel a bit sorry for him because i mean he didn't look yesterday like a particularly happy guy he didn't look as if he wanted to be there um, he didn't. His body language did not suggest that he was comfortable really talking about some of the stuff that he ended up saying. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, for me, I've always been such a big fan of Harry's. You know, I will never forget the service he did our country. You know, anyone who fights in our military and risks their lives in that way, you know, I will always have their back. You know, that's just that's mm. just how I am. And I think both boys have been through so much in their lives. We've got no idea of the inner turmoil they're going through. And that's why I think it is really sad to see him so unhappy and uh, to see Megan so unhappy. But but what's even worse is that it, it has distanced them even more from us. And I quite like the idea of them coming home eventually and being welcomed in open arms and us moving on from this. But I think it will take a while now, unfortunately. I don't think it's ever going to happen. In fact, I wonder whether he can even now come back in the summer because people are really not very happy about him and what he said and how he's thrown his entire family and his own country under the bus. And I mean, I wonder whether he can stand at the unveiling of a statue of his mother next to his father, who apparently doesn't take his calls. I mean, it's not clear whether he started taking them again, but certainly wasn't taking his calls for a long time. He's admitted there's a lot of trouble there that needs to be sorted out. I mean, I just can't see the happy family sort of getting back together in June or July um, for this very happy occasion. It'll be awful. Maybe that's too soon. Um, but he did, you know, I think sometimes people do desperate things when they're feeling desperate. And I can't, I don't feel I can judge too much if I haven't walked in their shoes. But I do think airing dirty laundry and private family matters in public is never good for anyone. It doesn't, doesn't give it, what does, who gains from no, this? No, there, There's nothing positive that's come out of it. But, uh, you know, on the other side of the coin, I do see if, if you take away how we're all feeling about this, you know, for a young man, in his mind, he was protecting his wife and the mother of his child by taking them away from the UK. Um, and that's surely only an admirable thing. Now, the way in which it was done and, and further, you know, ways they, they conducted themselves, that, that's all up for discussion. But that in itself was an act of, of, of wonderful protection that a man had for his, his family. Um, and I do think people see that. And obviously, if he's talking to the Queen a lot, he said in the interview, I think, that he's talked to her more in the last year than he has done, you know, in decades, mm. um, then then clearly that bond is still very strong. But I'm sure um, she must be very sad at what's happened, though. And and, and unfortunately, un, uh, as many uh, as people will accuse me of being some kind of misogynist, you know, this woman has come into the, the frame, uh, caused a massive amount of trouble. Uh, and now look where we are. 
And I don't really think, in a way, I mean, you can blame him for being taken in by her, but there's only one figure here, which is the disruptive figure. And regardless of what people may say to me, it's obviously Megan, isn't it? Well, I think, again, it's about uh, the sort of American-California culture clash. Um, and and, how, and it looks like Meghan has stayed strong with her roots. And, and of course, over there and in many pockets in America, victimhood is, is uh, akin to how moral you are. And it's about feeling righteous. The more, more points you have as a victim, the mm. more righteous you are, and the more platform you have. And, and sympathy is now currency. Um, so, so that is what I think we're finding it hard to swallow. But my goodness me, you know, she, she's a, a very beautiful, smiley woman who's, who's keeping one of our princes very happy. And, uh, you know, I always like looking at the good in people, Mike. Always, always like well, you're a better woman than I am, I have to say. I mean, it's a bit like me walking into talk radio one day and going, look, I'll tell you what we're going to do here. I'm going to do what I want and everybody else can get lost, right? So I fancy doing a couple of hours uh, of a show during breakfast. How about that? Why don't I do that? Uh, what do you mean you're ignoring? Why are you ignoring me? You can't ignore me. You know, you cannot silence me. I must have what I want. And that's what, effectively what she's done. She's got into an organisation, uh, which is an organisation. It's not just a family, uh, which has, um, you know, uh, various different responsibilities, uh, which are shared out between them. I mean, imagine, for example, how, I don't know, William and Kate's kids are thinking about this. Yeah, I think it is hard for them as well. Hopefully they're still watching sort of CBBS or going out rather than I, I don't really have like the BBC or Sky playing on in my house when the kids are around for Quite a right too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think it is damaging and, and very sad. But what are you going to do? You know, we have a terrible situation. I do think the royal family have a right to defend themselves. And I do hope in some way they do. Because do you think they it, will? I think one of the members will come forward. I do think someone has the right to defend themselves on the racist claims because it is such a accusation uh, with so much gravitas that to just kind of let it hang in the air without mm. any of them being able to defend themselves, I think is pretty unfair. Um, so one of them does, I think, should come out and say something, but they should rise above it. And this mm. is what I was talking about earlier. I don't feel in any way, you know, attacked or like we're under threat. I mean, we're talking about America here. Um, you know, they kicked out our royal family, you know, in the late 18th century and have mm. been dying for one ever since. And now they have their own little sort of micro, if you like, royal family to play with. And they're the perfect sort of Americanized royal family now. And, and good for them. And that's going to fill lots of TV screens. We will get on with our country, our traditions, and we'll hold on to them dearly because we know it's the best way to, to have a country, to have a head of state like our queen and then have a prime minister. We're never going to get rid of the monarchy. And therefore, what's all this about? It's just a blip. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, because I think, as you say, there have been many, many more attempts to ruin the royal family um, than this. And, and they're a very long way away. And I think, actually, when you look at what they've said, there's hardly any substance to it anyway. I mean, it's literally like, you know, Kate made me cry and somebody said something to Harry about something somebody else said. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I take issue with the made me cry thing a bit because I think it's, you know, she made me cry. No, no, well, you cried and that was your response to something. Yeah, um, I mean, so I, cry, I cry at the end of The Deer Hunter. I'm not going to sue, you know, Michael Cimino, who directed it. Yeah, I do think it was unfortunate as well that Megan start, you know, said that she had to Google the national anthem as if that was something awful. I think if anyone was marrying into any royal family, I think there's about 35 left in the world, um, the least you would do is research their culture, their traditions. You know, I would take that on myself to want to pay respect right. to the family I was joining. Um, so, you know, I, I Googled the American national anthem loads of times because I, I love America yeah. and I love singing it. 
Well, no, you know what? Not... I mean, I was told by a source that I cannot reveal um, that any woman worth her salt in this day and age Googles any bloke that they're going out with. I mean, I'm so pleased I escaped that generation <laughs> because I don't think I'd be married. Well, maybe what the Googly should have been doing, uh, Harry should have Googled her before he thought yeah. about marrying her and maybe he wouldn't have done well, it. Unfortunately, the problem with saying something like that is it's so unbelievable that it tainted all the other claims she made. Um, and as I said before, she probably had some valid claims about how difficult it is joining the royal family and that the royal family do need to learn how to really support newcomers. You know, they should have learned from Diana. I mean, no one is perfect here, but we never expected our royal family to be perfect. We know how dysfunctional they are. History has it in all right. the history books. The fact that, you know, perhaps she didn't know how dysfunctional royal families can be, you know, must have been a shock to her. But my goodness me, we've had all sorts of love children, love affairs, you know, we, the, the, the marriages in the past yeah. were not exactly faithful ever. Um, and so we're used to it here. So maybe there is a bit of, I just think we're a bit thicker skinned over this I side I think of the so. Park. But I also wonder, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave you alone very shortly, Belinda, but I also wonder how Oprah Winfrey can justify all these invasive questions to Harry about his relationships with his family members, and not one to her about her yeah. father, who appeared on GMB this morning, um, who clearly still is very pained by what she said. She referred to him as having lost him. Well, no, you haven't lost him. You just lost his phone number. You don't ring him anymore. Yeah, well, I would have loved Oprah to have really been quite vigorous because I do, I am interested in their side of the story just because I hate a feeling of, of disliking anyone without knowing them. And I think this is a problem with today's age. People are so quick to hate mm. and, and also a problem with their interview. I mean, we now have millions of people hating us and the EU are going to have an absolute field day with, uh, you know, Brit bash bashing again. So uh, that's what I mind is this quick to hate judgment of people you don't know. And Oprah could have done them a favour by being more rigorous mm. and fair with the questions and possibly suggesting, you know, the why was it that, um, you know, when you were, were suicidal, you know, that, that there were you didn't have other means of going privately into having some support mm. um, rather than just, you know, asking HR and things like that. But again, I don't know, I wasn't in her situation. I just hope for the two of them that their vent has been therapy and they can move on. And our Royal family has a chance to defend themselves. Um, and I tell you what, Mike, Kate and William will never be so popular as they are now. You know, the British public, I think will take them under their wing of protection and feel very strongly that um, they, they're very loyal to William and Kate now. So I think it will have done them a you know, world of good in the long run. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Great to talk to you, Belinda. Good to see you. Uh, we'll be all out and about again soon, so we must try and have lunch or dinner or drinks or something or other. Belinda DeLucy, former Brexit Party MEP, uh, there defending the royal family, defending uh, the uh, ability of this country to bounce back from these hideous claims made by Meghan Markle that not only is the royal family racist, but the press in this country is racist and that this country itself is racist. Absolute and utter balderdash, madam. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Time now to talk to Professor Carol Sikora, former head of the World Health Organization's Cancer Programme, Dean of Medicine at the University of Buckingham. Carol, welcome uh, back to the show. I suppose we should be thankful um, for Meghan Markle, because at least the front pages are not dominated by stories about COVID. There's only one line on the BBC website, which I looked at at five this morning. I thought, fantastic. <laughs> one line on the 
COVID, the rest, Megan. Great distraction therapy. Absolutely. To be honest, because, you know, we have obsessed about this disease and this virus for so long, for a year now. Um, and I do think that some of the problems that we have and some of the attitudes that people have got are because they've been bombarded with all this stuff, um, you know, for months and months and months on end. And I mean, I know that we play our part in it here at Talk Radio, but we try at least to be reasonably balanced about uh, the way that we should be approaching it. But there's definitely, and I know we've been here before, Carol, and I know you'll say you want to be cautious about what we predict here. But, you know, it does look as though it's disappearing, doesn't it? It does. I mean, two things are going to happen, Mike, and that's the problem. And no one's totally sure. So the, the most likely scenario, because I'm an optimist, and I know you're an optimist too, is this gradually will go according to plan. And by June, whatever it is, we'll be back into normal life and we'll be able to go on our summer holiday. But there is a downside, a potential downside, because of these variants, which came out of the blue. They started in December mm. and... They actually started at the beginning, but they weren't dangerous. These variants are a bit more dangerous because, first of all, they've made the virus more infectious. And secondly, it may hide it from the immune system, which means the vaccines are weakened. Now, fortunately, the latter doesn't seem to be the case. It looks as though the vaccines are powerful enough to at least reduce the severity. So I think we're going to win on it. But, you know, we have to have contingency plans. And that's the, the trouble with Chris Whitty and the government. They have to have the contingency plans if it doesn't go according to how it's supposed to. Yes. But, I mean, at the moment, all of the indicators are that it's going much better than they thought it would. Um, and I know that they are cautious individuals and they will always be that. I don't suppose they'll ever change. Um, but as more and more people get vaccinated and as more and more people have had the, the, the disease in one form or another, um, the only place really for me that's a concern at the moment is the school classroom because we're going to be talking about it later on in the show. But I'm not, I've got a couple of teenagers. Um, one of them's not very happy about having to be made to wear a mask for the entire day while similarly twice a week sticking something up his nose to test himself. I think it's it's very difficult times, and my grandkids are, are quite amused by it all, but uh, the amusement will turn to boredom, mm. and I think we get out of this quickly. I and mean, the biggest thing you alluded to just earlier is the fear culture, mm. that a year of this bombardment of all these horrible messages, these sort of sepulchre tones coming down the line from government messages. Uh, we've got to get out of this. We've got to get back to normal society. And, you know, we have to do it without the pubs being open to give us a bit of light relief. We've got to somehow try and get back. Now the schools are back, which is a great start. Let's get everything back to normal. And then the pubs open and then we're back to normal. Yes, and, I think uh, so. And get travel back, which is the other thing to allow people to. The trains, I mean, I came from to South Wales this, evening, uh, this morning for, for work. And the train's completely empty. Right. Obviously, at the moment, you're not meant to travel except for work, as I'm doing today. But, uh, you know, we've got to open up. We've got to open up the country. We've got to get going, basically. Well, we really have, because I do worry, um, because it's a sort of false equivalence, I suppose, for me, because I come into work every day, as you do, um, Professor, and so you kind of assume everybody is, but actually everybody's not. It's quite busy in various parts of, of London where I go, but then you'll go somewhere else and realise, actually, there's nobody doing anything here, you know? I think 
that's the trouble. And, you know, the people I feel most sorry for are those whose livelihoods depends on people coming to work. So the cafe opposite Maribyrn Station, for example, I mean, this guy's been off work for since Christmas, essentially, and it, it's not sustainable long term. His rent's got to be paid. And there are a lot of people like that that have made themselves a nice little niche business in a particular geographical location in London and other towns around the country, and they're getting nothing. And so and it, it, there's nothing you can do about it. And it's going to be slow to start. So let's hope that we can, everything goes according to plan. There's no doubt the, the immunization program has been fantastic. We can't knock it. It's been great. And we, let's just hope it holds against the variants mm. that are inevitable. And there's nothing we can do about variation in viruses. We've known it for years. We've known it from the flu. We all have these injections for the flu. All us oldies get them every year from the NHS. Right. But you know they're not we know they're not that effective but they they do hold it a bit and that's all you need to hold it a bit mm. well i was hearing in america apparently they're now looking at lifting i think in relatively short order uh, the mask mandate and they've already done it in quite a few states they're doing it in in most of the country now certainly in in many states now uh, they're opening up uh, as if everything was normal um, and, you know, America has had it at least as badly as we have. You know, the President Trump administration was blamed for letting it spread as well as it did. Biden isn't really changing much of that. But it would appear that people are beginning to look at it differently in other parts of the world. So I'm hoping that that will catch on here. I'm hoping so, too. I mean, you know, I'm very religious about doing it, you know, in healthcare environments. I have my mask and uh, uh, you know, that seems fair enough. But is it really necessary? Certainly not on the street. Is it really necessary in supermarkets? Does it actually protect us from anything? Or is it false reassurance? Yeah. And I think that's the problem. If you're ill, if you've got a temperature, you shouldn't go to a supermarket mask or not. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what we've got to do through the summer. And yes. I think most people agree with that. So yeah. getting rid of the masks is the, for, for a bit more downstream this summer. And how are you finding your business at the moment, uh, Carol? Because obviously we've heard that there's an awful lot of people now on NHS waiting lists, more so probably than ever. Um, are you getting through that? Are you moving through those numbers? It, it, it's getting through. It's still slow. The phase that's causing the biggest problem is the diagnostic phase. It's not once you've got cancer, when can, that patients that we know have cancer can be absorbed in the system and treated. It's those that have symptoms and have not quite got it worked out yet. You know, cancer presents with lots and lots of different types of symptoms, and most people that have them don't actually have cancer. So you have to go through a sorting process. And that diagnostic sorting process requires going to hospital, having scans, having biopsies, and so on. So what we've got to do is to speed that whole thing, get it, getting it back to normal. And it's not quite back there. So the number of people coming forward every month with cancer should be the same. It's not like the flu, which is seasonal. This is every every month at the same. And it's not quite up to speed yet. We anticipate that within by April, it should be back up to speed. And, let, and the same for cardiac, for heart disease as well. It's not quite there yet, but it will go forward. And then we've got to make sure we save as many people there as we did with COVID. Mm. And do you uh, feel um, that the people who are in SAGE currently saying things like, oh, it could come back with more vigour and, and stronger in the summer, uh, or we might have to lock down again in the, in the winter, should they just shut up and stop peddling this kind of stuff? 
I think that I looked at the, the there is a, a doomsday NHS plan out there. It's not been made public, I don't think, but it's 60,000 people a day. Uh, hospitals, more than more, there were about 40,000 mm. people with COVID-related illness at the peak of the second wave. The prediction is something 80,000 people. These are predictions are made on the worst case scenario. You can always frighten people and it, it makes good copy for the Sunday newspapers. But the reality is, more people are going to die if we just don't get on with treating heart disease and cancer and all the other sufferings of humanity that the NHS and other healthcare systems can deal with so effectively that it's, we've just got to get moving. Mm. And all this sort of culture of fear is not helpful. And then all this, well, what, we've got to hold on because there may be a third wave and the, the whole thing may be swept away. I was glad to see just this morning the nightingales are finally shutting in April. Yeah. So at least someone with a bit of sense is out there saying we don't need this. They never really were used at all. No. It was a, like stuff. A lot of it's been wasted. Exactly right. And the NHS never was actually overwhelmed. Professor Carol Sakura, thank you very much indeed. Former head of the World Health Organization Cancer Programme, Dean of Medicine at the University of Buckingham. And I think, you know, he and I had this conversation towards the sort of autumn of last year where we were pretty convinced that basically the uh, uh, the COVID virus was on the wane. And it certainly seemed to be. Um, it came back in September because of the fact that uh, schools reopened, because of the fact that students went back to universities and went all over the country. Uh, but it then still wasn't really heading anywhere dangerous until December the 18th, when suddenly they discovered this brand new variant, which supposedly caused a problem uh, because it was so uh, more transmissible than anything they'd ever seen. But that's come and gone now, uh, and we're down to single figures in an awful lot of parts of London, uh, which are measured for cases. And really, you know, I think there's absolutely every hope, as I said before, that I should be standing somewhere in Borough Market holding a pint of beer uh, by the middle of March. Now, I realise that we're getting quite close to the middle of March, but I think it's coming. I really do. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. A couple of things to mention to you in addition to the school's conversation, of course. A German publisher, how about this, has pulped copies of a children's book that said that the coronavirus originated in China, which it actually did. Apparently, uh, a book was called A Corona Rainbow for Anna and Moritz. It was released last summer to help younger children understand the changes the pandemic was bringing to their lives. But loads of Chinese diplomats apparently complained about it, uh, as did some parents. And so now um, the book's been pulped. Funny old world, isn't it? Let's talk to Roger Layton, Chief Executive of Partnership Learning and Academy Trust overseeing 12 schools in London. Roger, very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? How's it all? Uh, how's it all going? Day two, I suppose I would say to you, what's going on? Yeah, um, well, it's got off to a fantastic start. Um, I was in our largest school yesterday, it's an all-through school um, from the age of four to eighteen. Mm -hmm. um, I was in the secondary section, um, and they got through seven hundred tests yesterday. Um, it was a military operation, but they they did it incredibly efficiently. And who's doing all the testing? Uh, they're school staff, um, in the main non-teaching staff, so people like teaching assistants, learning mentors, admin staff, uh, but they've got it really well organised. Right. And are they able to do it reasonably uh, easily and, and, and safely and well? Because a lot of people were worried that um, they were giving the wrong people responsibility for the testing. I'm not talking about parents. I'm talking about, you know, um, some medical people were saying, oh, it's not maybe a, better, a good idea to leave people who are not medically trained to do this kind of thing. But, but you're saying it's fine. 
Yeah, it worked incredibly well. So all those who are um, helping to administer the tests have been trained. Um, and the way it was being done is that students themselves were being brought in in groups, um, sitting in one room to actually do their own swabbing um, and then to go through to the to the main testing area um, with their completed swabs. So it was very well organised and, and very efficient. And have you got teachers getting tested as well? Teachers being tested, um, they're being tested um, twice a week on site um, at the moment. Um, we might well move to uh, home testing from next week. But actually, the, the site-based testing is working so well that it's probably just as easy to carry on with that. Yes, but I suppose it's a bit disruptive to the school day in general, is it? Uh, not for the staff testing, because the staff are tested before the school starts. So that's fine. Yeah. Um, it's possible that we might look at continuing some student testing on site as well because it, 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 we've organised it in such an efficient way now. We think we could probably do that quite easily at least once a week on school site rather right. than sending them home. And do you think that would be enough once a week? Because, I mean, the idea apparently is to do it twice a week, isn't it? Uh, tw once a week on site. Oh, I see. So, um, so you still want to do another one? Still twice a week, but yeah. once a week on site, the other one at home. Right. And did you have any people saying, no, we don't want to do this? Uh, to take test um, for pupils, I think the, out of around 2,000 pupils, there were 10 um, that my last uh, information told me at that particular school were still having concerns about taking the test, but they were... Uh, still being spoken to, parents are being spoken to, to hopefully encourage them to, to join in with the vast majority right. of the children. But they're still able to attend school, presumably? They are still able to attend school. Okay. And what, and what about the rest of the day? Because, I mean, you're, if you're testing 700 people, that's that's a pretty big number. Um, were there other activities going on at the same time? Were there school lessons? Yeah, no, no, normal lessons carried on. As soon as as soon as the group had been tested, they were back into normal lessons. Okay. Um, so it, we were getting close to a normal day, mm. um, certainly by lunchtime. Right. So and, did you, and did you get any positives? Uh, one. Really? Yeah, one. One out of seven hundred. <laughs> uh, but that was a staff. That was a staff. No, that was a staff member. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, it there you go. So, so how? So, what's the protocol then? Do you do you then have to isolate uh, them and yeah. other people, or just them? No, because that was on entry to the to the school first thing in the morning, so they could just be sent home. Oh, so okay. That's a good example okay. of the testing regime working. Because if, obviously, if they'd come on to site, they'd started teaching a group, then the whole group would have had to be isolated. Right. Because, I mean, that's one of the worries I think that some parents have got uh, that I've spoken to is that if one of their uh, kids tests positive, they get sent home. The whole family then has to kind of self-isolate. And for some families who don't get paid not to not to be at work, that's the tough one. I, I do agree. And, of course, that's something we've got no con control over. Um, and, and we would hope that, you know, all support is available for any family in that such situation. But we do understand that there's a real problem. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful, Roger, and I don't know whether you've heard probably nothing at this point, but I mean, I'm hopeful that you get to Easter, you go through Easter holidays, and then by the end of that period, you're back into April, um, and the, 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 the cases are so low that you might not be doing this then. That's what we're all hoping. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's already been said very clearly, hasn't it, that the mask wearing will be reviewed at Easter. Mm. Um, but let's hope that the testing can be reviewed as well, because, yeah, we all just want to get back to normal. Um, 
not just face to face in being in the same room, but face to face being yeah. able to see each other's faces. It well, makes exactly. such a difference. How are yeah. you handling things like school dinners and that sort of business? Um, be, being handled again very efficiently um, in um, in rotors, so there's never too many students in the same space at the same time. Obviously, we're helped by the weather as it's starting to get warmer. Well, eventually. Well, it was. It started, yeah, <laughs> it was. eventually. Yeah. It started to get warmer. Um, you know, we've got lots of outdoor space. So once they've actually got their food, they can easily go and eat outside. There's plenty of outdoor space. So is that what they do then? They take the mask yeah. off, obviously, and eat it oh, yes, distance outside, from, from one another. Outside, yeah, okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, what I'm hearing again from, from a lot of parents is that, um, you know, some schools are being a little bit more relaxed than others. Um, and with the mask wearing... Um, even though most schools are saying it's required, they're not necessarily being draconian about it. What, what, what are you, what's your experience there? Yeah, and, and I think that's true. Schools across the country are in dis different circumstances, have different relationships with their communities and with their parent groups. Um, our schools are taking a pretty firm line, actually, um, on the basis that this is for everybody's benefit. It's about the health, safety and well-being of the pupils and the staff. Um, and although it's a nuisance, it's not pleasant, it's irritating. Um, hopefully it'll only be for a short time. And if that keeps everybody safe and everybody at school and not having to isolate, then we should be really strongly pushing. Yeah. But the well. question I get asked a lot is if it's safe to go back to school, why can you not have the same conditions that were there when you last were at school back in December, which was to wear a mask in, in corridors and sort of common areas, but not in the classroom? What's changed? Nobody seems to be able to tell anybody that. I think the answer to that um, is the rise of those new variants, the the higher transmission rates that um, we're taking a safety first approach because of those new variants, because they seem to be able to transmit much more easily than last time. Let's play safe, at least for these next two or three weeks. But if you've, but if you've tested, say, for example, 700 pupils and none of them have got COVID, do you really think they need to wear masks? Well, the test is not foolproof. Um, well, why do you and it, I had this discussion before? Well, because <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> okay, the test is not foolproof. And in particular, it doesn't necessarily pick up every um, case of someone being infected. What that lateral flow test is designed to pick up is the high viral load, the ones who are going to definitely spread it, they're going to be the potential super spreaders. So yeah, but if you go it's back, a two, to, it's a, so it's a two—it's a two-stage protection. Yeah, it's approach. a belt and braces approach, which it's is which braces. is which is fine as long as there's no yeah. side effects and there's no adverse effects. But I would say mm -hmm. for some people there will be adverse effects. It's not very nice to have things poked up your nose and down your throat. It's not very nice to sit with your face covered for hours on end. So you know there is a a, a cost-benefit analysis that could be done based on that. And if you were to say to me after a week of testing that you didn't find any cases at all, I would call you clinically insane for then wanting kids to wear masks. Except I won't have proved that there are no cases at all, will I, Mike? I will just have proved that there are no high viral loads. So it is, as you say, belt and braces. And look, let's all hope this is short term and we can get back as soon as possible. To, to yeah, because what I was going to say to you, Roger, is think back to what life was like before coronavirus. You know, you could have at any given time people walking around your school with all manner of horrible germs, you know, stomach bugs, uh, you know, norovirus, colds, flu, any number of things, which if you wanted to protect everyone from, uh, you could continue to make them wear masks because that would obviously be sensible wouldn't it under these kind of constrictions and yet you wouldn't do that 
we wouldn't do that because this is part of an at the moment the difference is this is part of a national effort still to protect the nhs yeah but the, the nhs uh, has already been moved out of that particular arena of danger they put it, it down has, from five to four and said it won't be overwhelmed it has but it's a safety first approach still at the moment isn't it um, well no as, i think it's nonsense. as we unlock i think it's as nonsense, we unlock, do we still want to take take precautions to ensure that it doesn't surge back up again but look if it if it's clear that things are absolutely under control even after the big hit of schools going back then i'd be the first one to argue let's take those masks off and, and stop and that's it. what i was coming to because i think the schools and people like yourself roger are in a great position here to advise the government because at the moment chris witty is currently talking to a parliamentary committee telling them that thirty thousand more people might die in the summer because that's the way he thinks because he's done some more modeling and he's done some more projecting into the future and i don't think he'll ever change that view that he has and i think sometimes it's good for professionals such as yourself roger to know a bit about educating children to say look do we really need to do this uh, you know, look, I, 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 look you, you know I'm going to have to say I have to follow the advice, I have to follow the science, don't I? I'm not. Well, you um, do, but every time I'm, people I'm say that, up. I question the science but, because the science has not changed as far as we know because nobody's told us that it has. They've just said we're following the science kind of blindly. Mm. Look, I, I think at the moment, particularly, you know, we, we, we have just done a huge thing nationally by getting all these hundreds of thousands of pupils and staff and their parents traveling around, going back into work and going back to study. I do think it makes sense to at least be precautionary for the first few weeks and then review the effect, the impact that that's had nationally. Yeah. So um, as far as you're concerned, most people, I don't know, I didn't really ask you about the mask wearing, but most people are going along with it effectively. They are. They honestly are. We've had very little resistance at all. Right. Um, I'd say we're taking a firm line and we're treating it in the same way that we, we treat uniform. You know, that this is the school um, policy. Um, you know, we expect you, for instance, to wear, let's say, a tie or a blazer. Um, and at the moment, we also expect you to wear a mask. Mm. And, it, 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 you know, the, there's huge levels of compliance. Yeah, that slightly worries me, actually, that there's huge levels of compliance, you know, because the problem with that is that you could keep it going. If the government comes back after Easter and says to you, you're going to have to keep them wearing masks for the whole of the summer term, are you just going to go, OK, then? I would, I, well, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, and it would be something I'm sure that our professional associations, those who represent head teachers and, and academy trusts, would make um, significant representations of the government about. Yeah. Because I think that that would be extremely difficult to maintain for that length of time. Mm. And we need cast iron guidance and clarity about exactly what we're going to do and how we're going to enforce it. Because as you say, at the moment, it's guidance. It's not law. Um, and, and we are left, as you say, on the front line, really, to deal with this and make difficult judgments. Well, that's we right. can do it I don't, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't envy you either, yeah. and I'm not giving you a hard time. I'm just saying that, you know, I believe that an awful lot of what has happened to us over the course of the last year has been deliberately manipulated in order to make people think, oh, you're only going to do it for a couple of weeks, you'll be fine. But then it carries on, you know, and suddenly it's a couple more weeks and then it's a couple more weeks. And before you know where you are, uh, you, we've been locked down for nearly a year, you know. All I would hope, look, we all hope that the vaccine um, rollout will come to our rescue here, don't we? And that is a significant difference from any of the previous 
um, lockdowns or relaxation of lockdowns that we do have the vaccination program mm. to um, fingers crossed to rely upon here to to get us out of trouble right so let's hope that doesn't happen yeah well let's hope so roger thanks very much indeed roger layton their chief executive partnership learning and academy trust that oversees 12 schools in london he says uh, they tested 700 children at the school uh, one of his schools yesterday one uh, not one of them came back positive um, but he says, well, maybe some of them are positive because maybe some of the tests are not absolutely and utterly reliable. Well, surely then, if you're not reliable tests, why are you doing them? And secondly, uh, only one case has been found, and that was a teacher who came into school first thing. I've got this uh, from somebody who doesn't give a name, unfortunately. My year 11 daughter went back to school yesterday. She came home saying she was so happy to be back. She hadn't belly laughed so much for ages. Some teachers are saying they don't have to wear masks in their class, which is good news. Morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Mr. President, uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, chimed in on the U.S. election and essentially encouraged people to vote for Joe Biden. I wanted to get your reaction to that. I'm not a fan of hers. And uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish... A lot of luck to Harry, because he's going to need it. Never a truer word spoken there by uh, President Trump. Uh, I'm not a fan of hers. Yeah. Um, Poor old Harry. I mean, how has he got himself into this complete and utter mess? And how is it possible that a man like him, who's nearly 40, I mean, both of them getting close to 40, right? Talking about breaking out and becoming in some way financially independent. They cut me off, so uh, we had to um, uh, we had to make some money, uh, you know. Didn't think about going to work or anything like that. He thought about uh, didn't think about getting a job. Thought about doing um, some uh, podcasting with Spotify, yeah, uh, and uh, Netflix. That you know, because uh, they they cut me off. I had no, I had nothing, literally nothing, just the thirty million. I mean, really, get a life, mate. Let's talk to Terry in Manchester. Hello, Terry. Hello, Mike. You okay? I'm very well, sir. What can I do for you? Yeah, I'm going to have a real moan about these masks now with these children not wearing the mask. Right. Um, I think they should be wearing them because they, 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 we've been wearing these for months. It's not going to make any difference now wearing them for a couple of weeks in class. Well, it is actually because I don't wear a mask for, for seven hours a day. Do you? No, but they're not in school seven hours a yeah, day. Yeah, they are. They never do seven hours a day they for do. years. Of course they well, do. I've got children in school. I know exactly how long they're there for. Yeah, but it's not uncomfortable, is it? It's not really uncomfortable. Have you, have you worn a mask? Have you worn a mask for seven hours, Terry? No, I've not worn a mask for seven. But would I do it if I had to to get out of this? Yes, I would. What do you mean to get out of it? They're testing them, right? You just heard a teacher, a head of school. I listened to it. Yeah. Yeah, he says they tested seven hundred kids. Not one of them's got COVID, but they've all got to wear a mask. What's the point? Oh, so let's put them on for two weeks and see how it goes. Like you said. Well, you need to see how it goes. I don't want my kids wearing masks for seven hours a day. That's thirty-five well, hours a week. If my child was in school at that age, now she's not, I'd make her wear a mask. Well, if your child wants to wear a mask, that's fine. We don't make mine. Yeah, but it makes everything easy. The moaning about no, it doesn't. How is it easy? Stuff up the nose. How is it easy? Sticking their mouth. Just they need to get a grip. These kids and, and start. No, I think you're absolutely they're gonna, wrong. They're gonna, Terry, they're gonna would you, all right, do you have your child? Would you have your child wear a mask in the house? No. Why not? 
because there's only us, us family, isn't it? We don't need to, need to wear one. Well, yeah, but you we go out, don't you? Don't you go out? Yes, yeah. Well, out, what if yeah. you pick up COVID and give it to one of your kids? I've, I've had the vaccination now, actually, Mike. Thanks. Okay, <laughs> all right. But, I mean, your logic so, would suggest that your, chi- your child should wear a mask in any enclosed space. No, I'm just saying at the moment, they're trying to put something in place for the schools, to, for these children to wear them for a couple of weeks just to see how we go with it. I'm, a precaution yeah, but I'm again, not interested oh, in seeing how we go. If they're going to test them and find out that they're uh, not with the virus, then fine, let them go into school. If they, if they test positive, then they stay at home. But well, you don't we need to do both. On this one. We use it, we, we've always, on, I've been on your show many times, and Ian, I've, I've, this, I've, I've agreed with you guys all along because you're saying the right things, but this time I think... It, Listen, I you're disagree, perfectly entitled to disagree with me, Terry, but the point is that you're wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. I think they should be doing are. it. Well, why? No, why would you no. want to make other people's children suffer because you think we should give it a go? Well, how about we give you a go, put a mask on you for the whole day, see how you like it? I'll put one on if I had to. This is well, you should, because you know the, the vaccine doesn't stop you from getting COVID. You know that, right? Yeah, well, I'm not out there sort of like thinking of, I'm clear from it. I'm keeping the distance of what I should be doing. But, you know, every, anything to help will we'll get us out of it quicker. Well, I'm that's not true, though, is it? That's not true. Anything to help. What if they say, I'll tell you what, you're going to wear a space suit tomorrow? I'm sure people are wearing them, actually. I might start That's the problem, isn't themselves. it? That's the problem. Because people have yeah. become supplicants. They've just gone, oh, OK, whatever you think. You tell me. And we've got Chris Whitty up here saying there's another 30,000 people going to die in the summer. Which would well, be, So he, right, would love to be helpful and not open any of the pubs because he doesn't like pubs, doesn't like drinking, doesn't like going out. He's a loner. No, he doesn't. He doesn't do anything like that. Exactly right. But so he, I don't he, wish for he, him he, to he, recommend how I should live my life. Thanks very much. No, no well, we keep listening to Chris Whitty. We'll be in it till Christmas. Exactly. So you're you know just what? saying what he wants you to say now, and now you're disagreeing with him. No, I'm, I'm not. I, this is coming from. It's obviously come from him because he's part yeah, of it. Yeah, Chris Whitty's the one who's saying that you now have to wear a mask in a classroom when you didn't have to last time you were there. Yeah, well, well, there we go. I mean, it's about opinions, isn't it? My opinion. No, it's not. You're saying no. You're saying it's about helping out because this will make it go away faster, and it won't. You know that. Yeah, but what the kids are always moaning about something. They've always got something to moan about. They're not moaning. My kids are very happy. My kids don't moan. Every time you go on, you see someone. They can't wait to go back to school to to speak to my friends. Not about going back for education. I want to go and talk to my friends. Well, of course they want to talk to them. their... Well, don't you think they should talk to their friends? Yeah, yeah. well, obviously, everyone's whinging about more, uh, education. When you say everyone, who do you mean? Well, parents. We need my kids back in school. Well, kids should be in school. Well, well should be in, they should be in the hours. Like no, they should be do. in a... Like, if the, do now, you, well, our schools... Our schools all right, let me ask you a question. Are schools safe places to go? I don't know the answer to that. You don't know? No, I don't know the answer well, to that. Would you send your child? Are you send? Would you send your? Would you send your child back to school? Yes. So you must think it's safe. So. Well, you must think it's safe. Well, yeah. I mean, I thought it's safe. Well, if I it's safe, why do you have to wear a mask? Because it's, it's a difficult one. I, I no, it's think not. I wear one for a couple of weeks. It's very straightforward, mate. I'm sitting in a studio, right? Am I wearing a mask? No. So I what would you? So what would you conclude from that? Yeah, but you're there. You're not around 500 children. There could be 500 children in the next room, for all you know. The point is this. I'm sitting in a safe atmosphere, so I don't need to wear a mask, right? I can come to work because my workplace is COVID safe. School is also COVID safe. So why would you wear a mask? 
Well, we've just said the reasons that the, 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 the if guy from if the school... Well, no, if it's dangerous, one. surely they shouldn't be going back, should they? Well, it's not dangerous, is it? It's well, not why dangerous. are they wearing masks, then? Because they're asking them to wear masks. Why? And it should be compulsory to wear a mask. No, it shouldn't. You've gone mad, well, Terry. you're going to a supermarket... It didn't used to be. I used to go to supermarkets in the first wave of the of the virus in April, and mask wearing was not compulsory then. Was so it? What about this? Te- what about the testing then? The sticking the, the uh, test up the nose and, and in the mouth. What about it? They're the, the moaning about this as well. Well, apparently, oh, according to the man who says he's given seven hundred tests, it's not reliable. Well, we, yeah, we've heard that one as well. But well, it's not, is it? About, well, it's. Well, if you don't know, we'll find out, won't we? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, you can't run a country on don't know. Well, they have done for a long time, haven't they? Well, that doesn't make it right, though, Terry. It doesn't mean you should blindly support them and go, oh, you carry on giving us more guff to do and telling us more instructions and giving us more regulations, even though we don't know if they work. What's the point of that? Well, there isn't. Obviously, there's lots, there's lots of points that they come up with. It's not doesn't sound right. It never has been right. Right, but no, you've we... just gone along with it because you think it's a good idea. It's the first thing I've gone along with out of everything they've done. What, so you haven't done any of the other things? Well, what I mean by that is, I disagree with a lot of what they said and how they've worked it. But I think if you're going into a school area um, and you should be wearing a mask, and that's my opinion. Well, you don't go to school, though, so it's not affecting you, is it? I'd like to go to the gym. Can't go to the gym. Would you wear a mask if you went to the gym? Yes, if I had to, I would. Yeah, really? if it's needed. Yeah. Well, surely if they open the gyms. I don't think it's that. It's not like someone's sticking something over your head. You're getting a mask over your mouth and you know. Yeah, but it is if you're doing it for seven hours, though, Terry. If you do it for seven hours, it absolutely is. So imagine it could be after seven hours. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I was happy for my child to wear a mask in the communal areas, which is what the rule was in December, right? You You go into the school... Uh, you put a mask on while you're in the corridor, you take it off in the classroom, and there's a reason for that. The reason for that is that you can communicate with a mask on uh, much worse than you can with one off, right? So they take the mask off in the class, and they were perfectly able to communicate with each other, mix with each other. When somebody got COVID, they got sent home and they got self-isolated, and that was fine. It worked fine in December. Apparently, now it doesn't. Yeah, but you, can look at it another way. you can look at it another way with this as well. The pe- you say you've got 700 people in school... And you've only got 500 aware of them. What's the point in doing it? Well, I'd so, say what's the point in doing it, period. Well. There is no point. Well, I, I, I disagree. I, I, can disagree. Say, I can tell you can, but you haven't got any proper arguments, Terry. You just think we should go along with it. Well, I mean, that's my argument is basically they, they, they come up with uh, the, the reason why we should wear them. Um, and let's do it just to keep, keep sort of like everyone safer. How? And then take it for, I don't know. You don't, don't know. know. <laughs> everyone's done in with it. Everyone's had enough. But I mean, my opinion on that is I that mean, maybe if, if right, I said to you, wrong. why don't you wear red socks to make everyone safer? Would you wear them? No. Why not? I don't like wearing red socks. Well, I don't like wearing a mask. Not a, fav- not a favourite colour. I don't like wearing a mask. <laughs> so there we go. We finally agreed on something. Terry, thank you very much indeed. Listen. If you want children to wear masks in school, you wear one for seven hours and see how you feel, Okay? This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Now, just after I woke up, I think, this morning, my attention was drawn to this particular incident that happened uh, on Good Morning Britain. Piers Morgan, of course, very, very controversial figure. We had him in here towards the end of last year, had a great interview with him uh, when his new book was coming out. He's constantly uh, sort of poking celebrities. He's constantly writing about them, constantly tweeting about them. Let's have a look, if you're watching on YouTube now and Twitter, at what happened. You continue to trash her. OK, I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry, no. Oh, Sorry. Do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, maybe not my no, own. No, 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 no. See you later. I'm being... Sorry, can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behaviour. You... He, I'm sorry, but Pierce spouts off on a regular basis and we all have to sit there and listen. Alex Beresford there, who was having a go at Piers before Piers eventually got up uh, and walked off the set. Let's find out from Mark Bukowski what he makes of it all. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Now, there will be plenty of people who say this is a stunt. Piers, of course, has said on Twitter that it was not a stunt, which doesn't mean uh, that it was not a stunt, does it? <laughs> There's nothing more dismal than a fact, Mike. You know that. And uh, what's he going to say? It's not. I mean, if he says it's not a stunt, uh, if he says it's a stunt, he's damned either way. I, I was watching um, Jim yesterday morning, and 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 Piers had been, you know, uh, involved with various of rucks with um, guests um, on the on the show. I think he was probably knackered. Mm. I think that the um, Alice Berryford has been called him out before and I just don't think he had the energy mm. and of course it's a circular argument at the moment for most of the stuff surrounding Meghan and Harry so what better way than putting yourself back into the limelight and walking off mm. um it, you know of course people are going to say you're great to dish it out but he can't take it and arguably I think that uh, politicians that he gives rightly so a hard time to uh, might use this against him but ultimately it's absolutely gone wild on on Twitter yeah. um, I've had four or five different calls from um, media folks saying what's your point of view on it right. uh, people can't work it out isn't that part of a stunt you don't re you can't really see the join the edges yeah. or not well, I think, I that's, think that's the joy of what Piers Morgan does. And I mean, I mean, without wishing to uh, tap myself on the shoulder, I have a, I have a similar view uh, to the world of media. I mean, I did a thing last week uh, which went mad because I suggested uh, that Harry and Meghan should be stripped of their British citizenship. People went absolutely uh, ape about it and were like, you know, I mean, it went viral because so many people were so incensed, in fact, so incensed that they made sure that the two polls that we put out on Twitter went the wrong way because they wanted to say no, uh, that I was a de dreadful, ghastly, horrible individual. Uh, did I not know that she wasn't actually British and we can't strip her of it and that's something she doesn't have? And they didn't quite get the point, which was to get an awful lot of people interested in what we were doing. Well, that's the point. The point is, it's a very, very noisy world out there. And you, you know, you know, as well as anybody, you've got to have your head and shoulders above the rest of the noise to have an opinion. Mm. And you need people to, 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 to help circulate what you're doing. It's all about numbers and metrics, isn't it? Well, it is. Yeah. And Piers is the master of that. And, and I mean, I think he also there is a part of him, though, because I mean, you know, probably know him quite well. I know him quite well. Um, there is a part of him that I think thinks people like Alex Beresford are getting a little bit, uh, perhaps, um, shall we say, impertinent because, uh, you know, it's all very well saying he can take it, he can give it out, he can do all of that. Um, but I think he would also say 
because uh, I've seen him referring to Alex Beresford before, who wants, who's, who's made it clear he wants to become a journalist, to say, well, if you want to become a journalist, you don't do this kind of thing, you know. Um, so there might be a part of it. Well, that, that is a bit... taking his moment too, wasn't he? At the end of the day, Alex Beresford, it's everybody's in, everybody's in the game. Yeah. Uh, so he's taken his opportunity to score some points. Mm. And I would have thought that uh, Alex Beresford, on the two spats he's had with Piers Morgan, I know about, you know, has made many broadcasters, maybe bookers think, well, well, God, he's got a point of view. He's probably, it's more in him than just, you know, reading the weather. Yes. No, I think that's absolutely right. And, and quite right too, because if he wants to make a name for himself, then that's how you do it. And I don't think there was anything that he was saying that was particularly odious or particularly unwelcome. Um, he just had a different point of view. Yeah, now that's the point about this argument, Mike. Everybody's got a different point of view. I, I was sent a link to the interview. So I watched it live at one o'clock in the morning. I didn't fall asleep. You're a better all. man than and, I am. I don't uh, think I could have done that. Uh, well, it was fascinating. I wanted to watch it that early in the morning because I, I was very keen to see what Twitter was saying in America because mm. obviously if it's happening in UK time, you're inside a bubble, you yeah. just see what happens. And it was fascinating because it really did light up. And a younger audience, you know, in America who take Megan to their own, you know, really, really did feel that she had some major issues about race and mental health, which is part of their shtick. That's their that that's that's part of what they what what they prophetize. Mm. So in America, it was a good look. And I think by the end of the day, you know, first thing yesterday, there was a whole hashtag going about abolish the monarchy because a lot of people waking up in the UK were reading those tweets from America or focusing on one story. So everybody's got a point of view on this. Yes. And it's dragging out, depending on your age, your social makeup, you know, where you're brought up, who you are. It, it, you are, everybody has a different view. And I think that's the point of this broadcast. The winner in this is Oprah. Uh, the loser in this is the Royal Family, ultimately. And of course, Comcast. I mean, it was 11.2 million. You asked the question, what was the viewing figures last night for ITV? It's 11.2 million. That's big, isn't it? But because it was only... I think that it was is only, really big. It was only 17 million in America, wasn't it? Well, so how can this be bigger than the Super Bowl? I mean, Comcast or, or Viacom, wherever selling the selling the rights to this at the moment, have done a really good job to hype this up. Mm. And fa you know, it, you know, Phineas T. Barnum, the great circus showman, would be proud of what the Americans did mm. to put snippets out of it. Even Harry doing his James Corden thing was all part of the sideshow, and we're all glued, waiting for it. Yeah. And then at the end of the interview, Oprah saying, "There's more to come out," and she's on on TV, so there's catch up viewers on it so i mean of course 70 countries have taken this all over the world 70 countries mm. have paid for this all over the world it's a big money-making exercise but 17 million in the us is not big figures no it's really not and i suspected that fewer people in america would be interested than than perhaps in other parts of the world simply because Meghan markle isn't a massive name and and actually harry isn't either and the problem for no, both that's, of that's true. And that's their job to build up their name. Yes. I think a lot of young people are totally into Meghan um, and totally into Harry. So there's a, a pure demographic there. And of course, she she taps into that. And um, we we my agency did a did a survey into it, and there's a real divide that in fact the younger sort of under 25s really buying into you know the, the whole idea. And let's not forget, uh, you and I have talked about this before, Mike. The cram. If we look at The Crown, The Crown is a global drama hit. Right. Many people see The Crown as a documentary. And how they referred, they promoted The Crown. They do. The Australian, the Australian exercise of which, which put the stress on their relationship marriage mimicked 
um, Harry's mum's time, they're referring back to that episode, which many people say mm. is complete fiction yes. in, in, in The Crown. Well, The so Crown, very... I mean, as we know, The Crown is in many ways complete fiction because they've been making stuff up. They've admitted making stuff up. And I've been critical Yeah, they have, but people are brought into it as it's real. That's the point. And, of course, they pile into this with similar similar ideas, you know, but what you said originally, I totally agree with you. I mean, surely to goodness, you know, after what Harry had seen his mother go through, you would have expected him to bring his future wife up to speed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, all you have to do is spend a bit of time. You, you, you spend your time, you know, researching your parts. If you're an actress, mm. surely to goodness, you go to Google and look at the, the acres and acres of space that's been given to the problems that Diana had, that the royal family, you know, are good at suppressing at the moment. There's enough out there to look at it. So you're not coming in to a Disney princess uh, gig. You're coming in to one of the most difficult families, most difficult, mm. high-pressure jobs in the world. Yeah, yeah but you're expecting, uh, by saying that, though, Mark, people to believe that she was a sort of ingenue, uh, that she was not Diana. I mean, Diana was brought into the royal family. Uh, she was a virgin. She hadn't had proper boyfriends as such. She'd not had really many relationships. She was uh, completely and utterly unschooled in the ways of the royal family. Uh, she was only about 21 years of age. You know, I mean, she was she had no life experience really whatsoever to bring to the party. This woman, Megan, is not the same at all. You know, she's been married before. She's been a, an independent woman, as she keeps saying. She's been an actress. You know, she knows about PR. She was clever enough to find Harry and, and woo him and win him. So for, for her to now make out that she was somehow naive, I think is an absolute and utter joke. Well, the, 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 the point is, and, you know, I can speak from personal experience on this, that, um, you know, there's a level of publicity you drive and attention you get for a B-list TV series. You know, she was she was she was hardly fronting, you know, one of the big global TV. Well, the way hits. she talks, you think she was, though. Well, well of course you do. Um, and why, why wouldn't she? But the, the fact of the matter is stepping in to the limelight of the royal family is a totally different gig. I've done many of those royal photocall sort of um, in the past. I mean, it's insane. Oh, I know. Listen, I, I was in Fleet Street yeah, when Diana died. I mean, are. you know, I was uh, I was at night editing the, the Express. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's just... But you think, you think you can control the media. That was her problem. Yeah. She felt that you could sort of manage the media in, into such a way. It's out of control. And, of course, you know, both brothers, you know, you know, were affected by the, the catacombic loss of their of their of their uh, of their mother. Mm. I mean, and then to force both brothers to walk behind that funeral cortege, yeah. and Harry again, much younger than William, I'm sure it's deep. I'm sure those have those have deeply affected them. And then receiving all the information about your mother, but you know, and then having a father who has struggled himself. Um, with issues, you know, with his own father. That's well documented. Mm. I mean, it's not its not a normal sort of, you know, huggy, kissy no. family, is it? But then it's... neither is her own family, the one that was never well, asked about by Oprah Winfrey, rather strangely. Um, you know, her own family is... This morning, so... and I think the royal family made a massive error in not taking taking control of him and letting and letting him run rogue. You know, there's this man at retiring in Mexico, right. you know, completely oblivious to what's going on, and he's completely... Um, so the, the royal family understand the ravenous appetite of the media, yeah. particularly in the UK, particularly the tabloids, and it strikes me they've done nothing much no. to affect any sort of change. Well, he was on GMB so, uh, this morning. Everybody's got something to lose here. He was on GMB this morning, um, 
was he not Thomas Markle? And and yeah. I mean, if you turn up at his doorstep, he'll talk to you. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, it's pure naivety. I think naivety. Caroline Graham's made a career of it. The whole thing is is naive, and but I think this will go on. And you've heard the, the front page of the Sun to say this is biggest crisis. It will. I mean, no, it's not. It's not. Um, it is. It yeah, really is. Also, when you think when you think about when you think about comparing it, it's still bigger than it is. Yeah, I was going to say sorry to interrupt. So when you when you think about comparing it to to the situation regarding Diana, I mean Diana was a story that until nine eleven came along was the most remarkable story, and I don't mean just the week that she died. I mean the whole story was incredible. You know, I was also night editing the paper the night Panorama the Panorama interview came out, and I just remember we had to, we had I think we had half an hour to get the first edition out, and the first headline was I will not go quietly, and literally within half an hour we were like. Blimey, better change that. You know, there were three of us in the marriage. It just kept going on, you know, and it was just one revelation after another. And in the end, somebody actually did die. So to compare this to that, I think is probably wrong. And can we not forget, I mean, I remember walking up the mound on a sort of, you know, a week or a sort of like week of the funeral, mm. walking up the mound and to see the, the flowers yeah. right up the mound and go to Kensington Palace. Right. The outpouring actually shocked the royal family, and yet they still put protocol before that. Do you remember they wouldn't? wouldn't I yeah. think I might, might be wrong. Wouldn't wouldn't put the uh, flag at half mast. Well, this is this is. I'm going afraid I'm going to do this again because this is me turning my career into a new career. But I was show us you care was my headline. Yeah, you know, and that was uh, and that was in the movie. That, that that is and no, no, nothing is nothing has changed with, within that. This is the protection institution. I would go further to say, if we look back in history, don't forget we're looking at it of our lens in the twenty first century. But the abdication, the abdication, yeah. um, was the biggest rock to the royal family. That nearly closed down the royal family. And to think that you know this man couldn't live his life, and then had to suppress all the connections that uh, Edward then went on to have with the Nazi party um, and he lived in exile, sort of, you know, throwing, throwing bombs. They dealt with that. But mm. that was a point, the real constitutional crisis that was faced. And at the end of the day, you know, there's no direct line for Harry or Meghan come to that to, to, to be on the throne. So the, the royal family have got a big legacy issue now going forward. This is this is the point that they face. Yeah. What does a royal family stand for in 20, 30, 40 years' time? With the audience of that generation are certainly airing towards the sort of feelings and the constitution of Meghan and Harry. Mm. And that that's that's the issue. Is well, I wonder, you see, I think how it plays out for me, Mark, is how their kind of journey continues to use their parlance because I think William and Kate are now going to be pretty popular in this country because, you know, nobody likes to see mud being thrown. And that's precisely what happened the other night. You know, Meghan Markle was clearly throwing mud uh, deliberately at pr uh, Prince uh, William and at Kate, his wife, and at the royal family altogether. They were very careful not to upset the Queen. But apart from that, you know, this was like a, a uh, this was like something uh, that had been ordered as a hit on the royal family, if you like. And at the end of the day, um, if none of what they've said turns out to be true, 
because it wasn't really true or it was misconstrued or whatever it was. All they've really got is that Kate made me cry uh, and I wasn't made to feel welcome, which is plainly not right uh, and certainly wasn't the case when they first joined the royal family. And I think if they continue to kind of, you know, ratchet themselves into um, uh, an ever, ever decreasing circle of nonsense and, and talking about, you know, whatever it is that they think is important, because once this is out of the way, they haven't got much else to say, really, have they? Well, that's the point. Where, where do they go from here? They've played all their cards. Yeah. Um, of course, everybody's saying, well, Royal Family got to react to a PR war. Well, there, there will be a very subtle cold PR war, I'm sure, with sort of private briefings. Mm. And of course, they're going to have to investigate these claims. They're pretty serious. And as you said, if there's no validation towards it, then you can start unwinding, you know, what has been done up. But, mm. you know, if there is any truth in what they're saying, they've got some issues to sort out. But the, the bottom line is that the, the Royal Family are very good at looking after themselves. Their red relevancy for the future is an issue, but in the short term, they won't be doing anything immediate. There'll be a strategic view. I'm sure that there was various statements uh, um, ready to roll um, for the morning newspapers and whatever after the broadcast. They probably tore all those up because I think they were hoodwinked. Mm. They never expected to see some of this stuff. I thought they expected other attacks. I thought it was going to be more an attack on the media and more poor me. When I first watched the first part of it, it was a little bit sort of playground stuff. Well, know, it was they... really, wasn't it? Um, but as it rolled on, and with the help of Oprah, but let's not forget Oprah's positioning a lot of that thing. She didn't forensically question or, you know, she, she just let them you know, carry on and talk with a nice little you know, visits to their, their hen house for the rescue chickens right. and, um, you know, long walks on the sort of beach of Santa Monica. Well, there can't be many security issues on there. If you've been to Santa Monica Beach, there's some real fairly old ne'er-do-wells around there. So I don't know how they're going to mm. pull off these impromptu bike rides with uh, with, with, with Well, with that's the other thing. I mean, this nonsense that he was spouting on about. Um, I was listening um, uh, this morning to Simon Jenkins, who was talking about the security issue. And he said, well, we don't pay to protect David Beckham's kids. Why would we pay to protect Harry and Meghan's kids? It's the same deal. They're very wealthy individuals. For him to say that he was cut off by the family and left with only £30 million of a trust fund. I mean, I don't think people are going to be very sympathetic towards him. And all of this stuff about protection and the, the, the wrong stuff that they came out with about Prince and how Archie was somehow being denied the right to be a prince, which is absolute nonsense. You know, people see through that, I think. Well, there's another point of view to counter that is that on my point about how Harry is being conditioned by the events of his mother's death. Now, one of the big one of the big narratives that came at the death of Diana was that she wasn't, you know, approaching proper, you know, um, security. And in yeah, but that end, was her was, decision, though. It wasn't anybody else's. Well, true. But the fact is, if you're carrying that conditioning and, you know, you know, Mohammed Al-Fayed in the end paid for her security. Yeah. Um, so the, also the bottom line bloke is who took pills died, and drank. however she died or whether or not, you know, there was no seatbelts working in the car and, you know, if the seatbelts had been working, she probably would have survived that. You know, he's going to carry that in his head. And you would, as, as someone who's lost somebody so important to you, you're going to remember those things and think, well, they didn't look after my mum and now they're not looking after her. So right. there's no logic or reason in something that carries such big emotional impact for someone who's definitely wounded. Mm. No, I take I take that point. It's certainly going to be a fascinating uh, scenario to watch. It will keep us in uh, 
um, in uh, Knickerbocker Glories for a few years. I'm sure Mike will be back talking about it again in Hanover. <laughs> no, a long certainly, way. certainly is not. No, not if we know these people as we do. Mark, thanks very much indeed. Mark Bukowski, Brandon, PR guru there talking about uh, the Harry and Meghan show because that's pretty much what it is now. Uh, we'll wait for the next instalment, I suppose. But in the end, um, I'm not buying anything that they're really selling. I'm afraid. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.